we serve a miracle-making, miracle-working, miracle-providing God. And so today I want to talk to you about some miracles. Turning your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 2 Kings chapter 4. The Old Testament toward the beginning of your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 18 and 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to kind of take a look at two stories in the Old Testament today in a single message, not part of a series, but in a single message that I have entitled, Wet Wood and a Little Oil. Wet wood and a little oil. You've got your sermon notes. I want you to follow along as we go through this because I believe that I believe that I believe that God has got a special message for you. Some of you, this is your second time hearing the message because you've been part of maybe a different gathering Thursday night or I believe that God's gonna reveal something else to you and you're like, I don't know. I didn't realize that you said that the first time. The Holy Spirit is gonna use this gathering in a mighty way. Can someone say amen? Now, I need you to help me preach this thing because in the first gathering, I gave it all I got and I feel pretty drained physically, but emotionally and spiritually, I feel put charged up. So I need your help in the physical realm preaching this. Can you say yes, right? Here we go. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we deal with the prophet Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, we deal with a prophet named Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Elijah was the predecessor to Elijah, or Elisha, just so you know, Elijah, Elisha, before and after, mentor, mentee, right? He went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and he was left to continue on with the ministry. So I want you to know there's two different guys. I don't know why the Lord did that and put two names that were so close to each other, but it, it is what it is, Elijah and Elisha. In the communication about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to kind of break this down for you before we read any part of it so we understand what's happening together. There was a, a problem with the entire community. And Elijah, the prophet, is addressing the entire community, not just the church. He's addressing the nation because this nation is having a problem. The nation's problem is they are in a drought. We all know what it's like to be in a drought. But they're not just in a physical drought, they're also in a spiritual drought. By the way, we also know what it's like to be a part of a nation that's in a spiritual drought. Can someone say yes, right? We understand that. And so, and so Elijah is challenging the nation. And he is saying, listen, you got to make your choice. you got to make a decision. Which God are you going to worship? Which God are you going to live for? Are you gonna live for your lowercase g God that's named Baal that you seem so tempted to want to worship that the culture is going that way? That society seems to be paying attention to that, that lowercase g God? Are you gonna keep on worshiping that fake, false, fictitious God named Baal? Or are you gonna worship the one true God? He asks them the question, he says it to the nation, he addresses it with passion, and this is what he gets. exactly what you're doing. He gets silence. He's just laid the case out. He's just presented it to them so they understand, hey, wait a minute, we had served God. God had come through for us. We then got off kilter. We all then got distracted. We got off the right road. We got on the, the other road, the wide road, and we're worshiping this secular, cultural, uh, accepted, uh, politically correct, uh, lowercase g, God now, and the prophet is called, a man of God is calling us out, and we're saying nothing. So now, now it's on. Elijah is on. And so he says, fine, 
He didn't really say fine, but his spirit kind of said fine. Here's what we're going to do. The, the false god named Baal has 400 prophets, 400 men of God, a lowercase g God, that support him. And right now, God just has the one true God has just me, 400 to one. Seems like it's a pretty uneven match uh, for the 400. Can somebody say yes, right? And so he says to the, to the 400 prophets, he says, here's the deal. I challenge you to a duel. I don't know if he took off his white gloves, walked up to them and smacked them twice in the face. I'm not sure, but that's what I like to think of in my brain. And, and so he challenges them to a duel. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're both going to build a, put a sacrifice on an altar. You build your little altar, I'll build my altar. And you uh, kill an animal, put it on there, a bull, and put it on there. I'll do the same thing and put it on mine. Make sure we put some, some firewood underneath it. And we'll call on our God to, to send fire down from heaven. I mean, we're not using a flare. <laughs> We're not going to do one of these things, right? We're not going to use a Bic lighter, but instead we're going to call fire down from heaven and it's going to start the campfire all on its own. They're like, cool. And so uh, Elijah says to them, he says, listen, you 400 freaks. I didn't really say that, but listen, you guys, I am going to even give you a head start. Ready, set, go. It's like six in the morning. I'm going to give you like 10 hour head start. So Elijah uh, leans back in his hammock, what's just to Troy, it doesn't say that, just what I'm thinking, and he watches them for like six hours until like noon. And, and they're trying all they can do to get their God to bring fire down from heaven, but their lowercase g God is not providing the fire. And so Elijah gets up from his hammock, and he maybe has a sandwich, I don't know, and he looks at the prophets, and he says, um, hey, guys, why don't you shout louder? Maybe your God can't hear you very well. <laughs> he's doing what every good Christian should do. Uh, he's, he's making fun of them. Isn't that kind of great? I love it. He's making fun of them. I mean, he's, he's, listen, listen. Why don't you yell a little bit louder? He's dogging them. Uh, maybe your God, he says, is in deep thought. Or maybe your God is, 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 is busy. Or maybe he's traveling like he's on a trip somewhere and he can't hear you he said or maybe he's sleeping he even says that is what the scripture says to these guys then they start shouting louder ooga booga booga whatever they're shouting i don't know ooga booga booga trying to get the fire to fall from their lowercase g god that's false and fake and fictitious and doesn't exist and has no power and has no authority and has no you understand what i'm talking about and the fire is not falling so they they go to the next level they started dancing because I guess dancing is going to do something. And the dancing, they also dance with their swords and they dance with their spears and they start cutting themselves. So the Bible says, read the story, the Holy Bible, we know drama, right? And so they start cutting themselves. So you think the teenagers of this generation are the first ones to start cutting themselves? No. It's been the devil's plan for many, many, many centuries. So they start cutting themselves to no avail. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell, them, tell us that um, there was no response no one answered, and no one paid attention. Nothing happened. So Elijah gets up from his hammock, and after he had his sandwich and probably took an afternoon nap, and it's early evening now, Elijah gets up and is like, okay, it's my turn. Oh, it's God's turn. And the Bible tells us that he builds a, an altar, and it's got 12 stones. The 12 stones are to represent um, the 12 tribes of Israel in honor and glory to God. And then it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse uh, number 32, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it long enough, uh, uh, large enough to uh, hold two seahs 
of seed. And the bottom of my Bible says that's about 13 quarts. That's a lot of, of, of seed, a lot of stuff that can fit in that ditch that he dug around the bottom of the altar. Now, you, why did he do that? Well, it just makes sense to me. It's kind of common sense. They're living in a drought time. And if, if God sends, when God sends fire down, um, you know, it's how you build a campfire, isn't it? You dig a ditch around it so it doesn't cause a wildfire. And it just kind of makes sense. But he dug the ditch and there was a whole other purpose for it. Um, it's, it goes, the next part is something I've, I've probably pointed out before in church, but I'm going to point it out probably until I die because I think it's one of the greatest uh, three words that you're ever going to read in Scripture. I would underline it if I were you. It says he arranged the wood and then he cut the bull. <laughs> yeah, baby. He cut the bull. You see, before the nation's going to receive its miracle, the nation needs to cut the bull and be honest. And I think there's something to this for us as uh, Americans today. It says he cut the bull, and then it goes on to say, um, into pieces and laid it, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four, or excuse me, uh, yeah, fill four large jars with water and pour it onto the offering and onto the wood. Now, you think about that. Uh, they were in a what? In a drought. And so they had four large jars. The jars were carried on top of your head. And so they had to send four dudes, uh, they got four interns, <laughs> and they told those four interns uh, to take these jars and run up and go fill up. The, if you knew the terrain, you'd really appreciate this because the terrain was about a mile and a half track to the closest water, and it was over a small mountain. So you had to, when you run with the big jar and get over the hill and go fill up the water and the only water source that was there, and then you had to carry it on top of your head up over this little, little mountain while everybody's waiting. And then it goes on to say, Elijah says, then pour it on the offering and onto the wood. How many of y'all know wet wood doesn't burn? They poured it onto the offering, onto the cut up pieces of bull, which is sitting on top of the wood, which is sitting on top of the rocks, which is sitting on top of where, where the, <coughs> pardon me, where the trench is at. And then Elijah says to him, do it again. <laughs> How'd you like to be one of those four interns? Okay, so they, they take the jar, they run up over the hill, they go fill up the water, they put it on top of their head, they trot right along, go up the hill, fly, you know, shoo, 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 get away all the wild animals, and they come back down again, and they pour it on top of the bull, which is sitting on top of the wood, which is sitting on top of the rocks, which is sitting above the trench. <sighs> And Elijah says, do it a third time. <sighs> Can't believe I signed up for this ministry training center, but I think I'm going to take, <laughs> take, take my jar, whatever the prophet man says, because you're the prophet man, but I don't like you very much. I'm going to take the jar, I'm going to run up over the hill, I'm going to fill it up with the water, I'm going to put it on top of my head, I'm going to trot along, shoo, shoo, get away all these animals, because now it's early evening, right? Shoo, shoo, take it and spill it. And now it says that the wood is soaked, that the rocks are soaked, every crevice in the rocks it just has water. It says, in fact, there was so much water because there were four large jars and it only was 13 quarts that it, that it ran down, saturated everything and it filled up the entire ditch around there. Oh man, thank you so very much. This is just water. But it tastes like so much more right now when you're thirsty, right? Somebody preached a message about I'm thirsty not too long ago and I appreciate it. Anyway, uh, here's the deal. When they poured it on there, what got wet? The rocks? Yes. The offering? Yes. The ditch? Yes. But the wood got wet. The wood is the fuel for the fire. Um, it doesn't really matter about the rocks. They were the support 
for the wood. It doesn't matter about the sacrifice. It's what's going to get licked up by the fire that's going to be supported by the, the fuel, the wood. And it doesn't really matter the water that ran into the ditch. It doesn't matter about it. What matters is this is, the, this is what's supposed to help the fire, cause the fire to ignite and to burn. But it, but it goes on to say um, in uh, verse 35, the water ran down around the altar and even, it even filled the trench. And as the story goes, what happens is Elijah calls down fire from heaven. The fire does come down from heaven. The fire consumes the bull. The fire consumes the wood, the wet wood. The fire consumes the rocks. The fire even consumes the dirt. And the fire consumes every single drop of water. There's no evidence that there was ever an altar there. There was ever a sacrifice there. There was ever wood there. Now, there's not even ash left over. It is consumed. It is gone. This is a miracle that took place. And it brings glory and it brings honor to God. And so I want to kind of point out in the beginning of this that sometimes... Sometimes God will make a situation seem impossible to men so that when the fire falls, not if, but when the fire falls, when the miracle takes place, when God comes through and the wood starts to burn, we will not think that it's because of the quality of the wood, but rather we will know it's because of the power of our great and mighty God. Can someone say amen? Yes. It's the power of God. It's not, listen, if you haven't figured it out, this is you in the story. This is you. And I, some of y'all have wet wood in your life. Can I just tell you uh, to really be prepared and to get yourself ready right now? If you've got wet wood in your life, you should start rejoicing right now. Start praising God right now because God is setting you up to do something so special and so powerful in your life to provide you with a miracle in a situation that seems to be impossible, God is going to come through for you in a great way. But, but God wants all the credit. The wood can't take credit when the wood is, when it, wood is saturated with water. God's gonna get all the credit. Don't be mistaken, God says, do it again. Dump more impossible situation on my child. Dump more trials and tribulations on my child. Dump more difficulties and discouraging situations on my child. Because when I come through for my child, I want my child to know that it was me. And I'll receive the credit. And I'll receive the glory. And I'll receive the honor for what I've done in their life. God wants all the credit. And so now we're going to fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 4 because... God indeed wants all the credit. And in this case, we have this widow woman. A little context, she's in bankruptcy. She's not just in bankruptcy. She is uh, in a time and in an era in, uh, in life that when you owe creditors, you can't just make your debt leave. You have to pay. And she only had two assets really left after her husband had died and she's a widow woman taking care of these two little boys. And her two assets were these two little boys. And so the creditors are coming and in that day, it was perfectly acceptable for the creditors to come and to take your children and put them in slavery so that your children's, so that your debt could be paid through your children's labor and she would never get her children back again. So now she's facing this terrible 
terrible issue in her life. And it seems to her like God is standing by and doing nothing. But in reality, let me tell you, God is working things together for her good. Why? So that he can receive all of the credit. Let me just tell you in advance, it might seem to you like God is doing nothing, but he is doing something. And what he's doing is making sure that you're positioned for your miracle, but he's positioned for the credit for the miracle. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. Your friend, the person who worked with you, who's been ministering alongside you, my husband, who's been traveling as a companion of yours and seeing miracles take place on behalf of Almighty God. Listen, my husband, your friend, he is now dead, and I know you know this, but, but listen, the creditors are coming. And they're going to take away my two boys, my two boys as, as slaves. Have you noticed that life doesn't really make allowance for your crisis? <laughs> In other words, the universe doesn't send out a memo when you're having a bad day. Don't you wish that it did? Don't you wish that um, if you woke up and you're irritable and you're crabby and cranky and crotchety, that somehow the, all of your coworkers would know that before you got to work, so they just kind of leave you alone? Don't you kind of wish that? Don't you wish your children would know that you're not, don't you wish that that would happen? Don't you wish the universe would send out a memo, everybody be nice to her today, her mama's in the hospital. Everybody be kind to him today, he had an argument with his wife. It'd be nice if life's demands would accommodate my crisis, but it doesn't, it doesn't work, and it didn't work that way for this lady. In fact, not at all. The story that we're reading about today, the bills were still due. Yes, her husband died. The bills were still due. The, the, the woman, this mother, didn't have the means to pay, and so she is in a deficit. Everybody say Deficit. She is in a, de anybody here understand what it's like to be in a deficit in your life? Whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, we understand what it's like to, you feel drained when you're in a deficit. And this woman is in a desperate deficit. It's not a national crisis in this particular case. That's what this one was. This one happens to be a personal crisis, and I love that about this story. If you happen to look in context, you read the story before Elisha chapter, in, Elisha in chapter, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, and the story afterwards, those are all dealing with, on a higher scale, national or big funders uh, or um, uh, kings and people in authority dealing with those miracles. But this miracle, sandwiched in between the cream and the Oreo cookie, is about a woman who is unknown, a woman who is all alone. God takes time for one broke woman, and I absolutely love that about this story because God is concerned about little old us. And when we're crying at night and when we're trying to rebuild the wreck, whether we caused it or whether we didn't cause it, God cares. Can someone say amen? So she's in crisis. She asks for help in, in verse number two, now get this, this is really great. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Let's unpack that for just a second. Tell me, how can I help you? Well, it sounds like he's fixing to get out the checkbook because that's what she needs, right? That's what she thinks she needs. So, uh, and, then, and then the problem is um, he answers her question uh, with another 
question. You ever had somebody do that to you before? Like you, you're like ask a question and you're hoping to get an answer and they ask you a question in return. And how many of you think that's a little frustrating, right, occasionally? Maybe you're the question person. You don't think it's frustrating, but it's the rest of us. So they ask the question. And, and, and she says, he's like, what do you have? She's like, I got nothing. <laughs> Apparently, the prophet Elisha, sir, you are hard of hearing because that's what I came here for. That's why I'm standing before you. If I had something else to sell on eBay, I would have already done it, but I got nothing else to sell. And so how do I need to restate my question so you can thoroughly understand me, oh, wise prophet? Man, do you think she's triggered just a little bit here? I think she probably is. Notice this woman, when she was asked, what do you have? Her immediate response to the question, what you got? Elisha says to her, was, was, well, I got nothing. Her first instinct is oftentimes our first instinct as well. Her first instinct is to minimize what little she has left. She has a little oil, but she says she's got nothing. And this is how I picture the conversation between Elisha and this widow woman. What do you got in your house? Nothing. And I think this is what Elisha does. <laughs> you ever had somebody who's like, uh, I, I like a, a healthy person that has good eye contact. But you ever known somebody that has like too good of eye contact? Like that awkward eye contact, like, like they never blink, right? Or they never just occasionally look at the floor and they look back at you or something. They just carry on with that like piercing eye contact. Let me, let me rephrase. Have you ever known somebody who's got like a, um, a no clue to personal space, <laughs> right? You know somebody in your life. Does anybody know any close talkers in your life? They just are li- they like to get really close, like right up here, like, dude, you're too close to me, back away. Not only can I feel the breath from your mouth, but now I feel the breath from your nostrils and I'm really uncomfortable at this point, so scoot back just a little bit. I, don't you all think that arm's distance is least close enough, don't you think, right? Or if we could reach out fingertip to fingertip, that'd be just fine too. Give me a hug and then back away. How's that sound, right? Can we, I don't know. I don't know. Close talkers bother me. Does anybody have a close talker in your life you know what I'm talking about? If you, maybe if you don't, well, maybe you're the close talker. So anyway, um, it can be awkward for other people. If you're the clo- Does that make sense? And so Elisha, I think is intentionally making this awkward. I got nothing, nothing. And he just stares at her until finally she said, except a little olive oil. Elisha wanted her to confess what she does have instead of lingering with what she doesn't have. And look at verse number three. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. (laughs) If I was this woman, I just answered your question uh, under protest. I didn't want to answer the question. I said I had nothing. You stared at me until it was a little awkward. And then I said, but a little olive oil. And now you're telling me that I need to go to my neighbors and get a bunch of empty jars. Apparently, you have a hearing issue, O prophet Elisha. I'm, I, listen, I need oil. I'm broke. I don't need jars. Listen, I don't need something to put nothing in. I don't need that. What I need is I need some money. Let's just finish the story for time's sake. Verse number four. Then go inside, he says, and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her 
And she kept pouring. Let's just stop there for a second. So the prophet tells her to go to this neighbor's and get the jars. And she says, son, you heard the man. <laughs> I think that's funny. Um, for those of you that are parents, you, you get it. Um, that's why we have Kit. Well, that's, I'm not just kidding. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I believe that the abundance of life is found in the flow. I want to say it again. I believe that the abundance of life is found in the flow. Just a few scriptures to kind of back up what I'm talking about to explain what I mean. In John 7, 38, uh, from your belly will flow rivers of living water. It says in Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart. Guard your heart, guard your emotions, guard, guard this, this thing called your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of life. The Bible tells us in, in uh, Malachi chapter three, verse number 10, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you so much blessing that you're not even gonna have room enough to store it in your life. The abundance of life is found in the flow. And here's what I believe, God wants to pour it out. God wants to let his blessings flow in your life. I do not believe that God wants to hold back and watch you struggle and suffer. I also don't believe that God is an ATM machine that we can just go and get whenever we want to get. But I believe God, through the struggles, God wants to let his blessings flow in your life. But God wants all of the credit. We got to watch this one. God wants all of the credit. And this woman may have missed out on her blessing because when she was asked, what do you have? What was her response? Nothing. I got nothing. And she may have missed out on her blessing because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with, by our scarcity that we minimize our supply. Let me say it again. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by our scarcity that we minimize our supply. We minimize what we actually have. Now, some of you might be thinking I'm talking about money. I'm not talking about money this morning. I'm talking about something, something even deeper than that. You ever had a friend that was just a, like a chronic complainer? I like to encourage people. I really do. But I have a friend that um, lives way away from here, just was really a complainer, like big-time complaining. And he was complaining one thing after another thing after another thing. And finally, I got so, because he's a friend. He wasn't, he was just, you know, just a friend. And so I treated him like a friend. And so I wasn't very pastoral with him. And so he went on and on. And finally, I said, dude, is there nothing good about your life? Like nothing good right now? Is, is there everything bad? Is there nothing that you can appreciate about your life right now? To which his response was, nothing is good about my life right now. And I'm praying, I'm thinking, I've got to help this guy find some sense of reality. So I'm trying to say, Lord, really quickly, you're trying to figure out in my brain too, what, what can I tell him, Jackson, that will bring him back into reality? And I don't know why I said this, but this is what I said to him. Really nothing? And he's like, nothing is good about my life. Really? Really? How about your eyelids? I don't know where that came from. 
<laughs> about your, can you imagine life without eyelids? How, how uncomfortable would that be? All right, how many are you thankful for your eyelids, right? You can at least be thankful for that because you can blink, baby, right? You can put some moisture on top of those eyes. You'd be walking around visine every couple of steps, putting drops. How about your, how about your eyelids, right? I mean, you, got, you got legs. Most of us have arms. Most people can see. Most people, even thinking about Danielle, can hear. And we have life is what we have. And you've got something in your life to be grateful for, something in your life to be worth living. God is asking us today, what do you have? And is it possible that you are overlooking the very thing that God wants to perform the miracle through in your life? It's possible. It can be difficult, though, when you're at an all-time low and you've lost a lot. This woman has lost her husband, whom she loved. This woman has spent almost everything she has to try to pay the debts. Um, she has got one little jar of, of oil left. That's, it's not even full. She doesn't have jars. How do I know that? Because the prophet said, go to your neighbors and ask for empty jars. She doesn't even have jars. We knew that she wouldn't have full jars because she's got nothing else but a little oil. But she's gotten rid of all the jars in her house too. She ain't got nothing. You open up the cupboards. She didn't have cupboards anymore, I'm sure. She got nothing but a jar with just a little bit of oil left in it. And it's, it's a small amount. But let me tell you, um, it's so small that she doesn't even think it's worth mentioning. And I think, I propose that God wants us to know that he is about to do a miracle in somebody's life in here. And he's going to do it through something in your life that you don't even think is worth mentioning. Here's how it works. See, the enemy cannot steal your oil. It is biblically impossible for him to steal your oil. He cannot do it. I'm going to show you that scripture in just a minute. He cannot steal, but he can try to get you to despise the oil that you have. Oil. What are we talking about? I'm not talking about what's in your pantry. I'm talking about something else. Oil in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God, the anointing of God, the giftings of God, the calling of God, the gifts, the talents, the dreams, the visions. That's what the, 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 the oil represent. It's God's empowerment. It's God's joy in your life that the, the enemy cannot steal. It's God's gladness in your life that Satan cannot take away from you. That's what we're talking about. And the devil can't steal that. So instead, he tries to get you to despise your oil. If I was your enemy, here's what I would do. If I knew I couldn't steal that from you, then I would be planning and plotting and doing all that I can do to try to get you to think that your oil is so little, so minimal, so tiny, so um, unimportant that you would we would end up thinking that your oil is insignificant and then you wouldn't even mention what you do have when God asks you, what do you got? I don't know, Moses says, I just got a stick in my hand. What do you got? You got something. Um, that's why some people go to church and they 
They, they, they're faithful. They, they go to Bible studies and they get involved in groups and they, they come to events and help with things. And they're still sitting in their deficiency because they never realize that the oil you got is the oil you need in your life. And, and we get stuck and we are in this rut. For too long, we've been comparing our oil or the amount of oil or the lack thereof of oil that we have to somebody else's. Our anointing to somebody else's anointing. Our giftings to somebody else's giftings. Our joy to somebody else's joy. Let me tell you the truth. I am not accountable to God for your oil. And you are not accountable to God for my oil. You're only accountable to God for your own oil. And so it's not about the amount of oil that determines the size of the blessing from God. It's not about the amount of joy. It's not about the amount of gifting. It's not about the amount of the anointing. Listen, it's not about the amount of oil that determines the amount of blessing. So what am I saying? It's not how smart I am. It's not how educated I am. It's not how much money I have in the bank. It's not the kind of car that I'm driving that I hope everybody at church is going to see me. That's why I stick around a little late after church so people can see me standing by my beautiful car. It's not about that. It's not about where I live. It's not, about, it's not even about um, the confidence that I possess. Because if God calls me and God chooses me, then nothing on earth is going to stop me because that's the oil that I've got in my life. Uh, the oil might not be much, but it's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It can be hard to feel okay about our oil because we always want to check somebody else's oil. It's Christmas time. And Christmas time, a lot of Things happen, traditions happen, but one of the things that happens is we start getting these beautiful cards in the mail or on Facebook or on Instagram uh, that are pictures of people's families. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, some of y'all have, yeah, yeah, you get those pictures, and if we're not careful, we start checking somebody else's oil. We start comparing their oil, their joy, their gladness to our oil, our joy, our gladness, and we're not looking through the right lens. We start looking at those pictures, and we're like, man, their kids are behaved. Man, their kids are nice. Look at them. They're just smiling at each other like they love each other forever and ever. Amen. And they're all beautiful and their nails are dead and their hair is combed just beautiful and they're sitting there so kind and nice and gentle and, and, and we can start comparing our family and saying, I got these varmints over here and you got, you got these wonderful, and we start thinking, listen, you don't know what happened like 20 seconds before that picture. Was, there was about to be a divorce in that family. Like 20, there, some kids were fixing to go up for adoption about 30 seconds prior to that picture of me and snap. They were threatened and they were bribed and that's the result. That's why you cannot compare your oil to somebody else's oil. Listen, Facebook and the gram aren't gonna give you the answers to life. It's not real. It's, 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 it's not real. The devil cannot take your gifts, cannot take your callings. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. For God's gifts... And his call are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. Nothing can stand in the way of that oil. It might not be much, but it's something. It's not nothing, and it cannot be taken away from me. It cannot be taken away from me. Now, we don't want to hoard our oil. 
We got we to gotta finish the story here. Um, if the devil can get you, listen, to, to, to think so little, though, about the oil that you have, the result of that is he's going to render you ineffective and he's going to starve you spiritually. That's what he wants to do. Um, God gave me a ministry. I know he did. The devil cannot take my ministry away from me. It is impossible. God's gifts and calls are irrevocable. But the enemy can try to convince me to give up my joy. And if I give up my joy, if I give up my oil, then I forfeit my ministry. Do you see what I'm talking about? By the end of the story, 2 Kings chapter 4, this woman's house is full of oil. But I need you to notice something. It wouldn't have been full of oil that she could sell to pay her debts and to live on the rest of it if she hadn't have taken the little amount of oil that she had and poured it out. Because here's what we know. When you feel poor, you don't pour. Some of you just need to own that for a minute. Because you hold on to what you got. When the need seems to be so great, so huge, so big compared to the supply, you end up calling it nothing. I got nothing. So you don't use it. And when you don't use it, it does not multiply. You think you've got nothing? Try this. Preach to 5,000 people, and what the Bible says is 5,000, but really it was more like 20 or 25,000 people on the side of a hill, and know that you've got more to say to them, but what's getting in the way of them listening to the message that you're trying to preach to them is the fact that they're hungry. They need to have something to eat. So uh, the command is, feed them. Well, what, what do you got to feed them with? We got nothing. We got nothing. What do you got to feed them with? We got nothing, and this is Jesus we're talking about. We got nothing. The disciples are like, we got nothing, and Jesus, I think, just does that old Elisha stare and just looks at them. Let them know, we got nothing. We got nothing. Okay, well, we got a little sack lunch here, but that's all we got. And Jesus is like, why don't you just start pouring it out? And thousands of people, multitudes are fed so they can hear the good news because it was poured out, because the confession wasn't accepted that I got nothing. And God is not going to accept your confession either, that you got nothing, because you got something. Pour out that something that you've got. You give away the opportunities that God gives you because we say it's nothing. So what do you have to be grateful for? What are you good at? What has God called you to do? So you see the question that, that the prophet, the man of God, Elisha, is asking to this woman is not, what do you wish you had to give? Boy, don't we do that. Oh, God. You know, if, you, if you'll just give me this, I'll give it all. And that's not true. He didn't say, what do you wish you had to give? He said, what do you have left that you can pour out? Oh, that's tough, because I don't got much. Pour it out. I don't got much. I'm insecure right now. I'm feeling a little afraid right now. I'm feeling a little nervous right now, because if I pour out the last bit of energy that I got, because I'm investing all the energy I can trying to support my family, I'm investing all the energy I can in that long commute. I'm investing all the energy I can dealing with a difficult boss. I'm investing all the energy I can trying to raise these kids. I'm investing all the energy I can, and God says, pour out what you got left. Pour it out. Because that's what God's going to bless. Here's my point. You, you are his chosen vessel. 
You're his chosen vessel. You just need to know that. You're God's chosen vessel. The oil you have is the oil you need. <laughs> the, the strengths you have are the Quit complaining that you don't have your neighbor's strengths. The strengths you have are the strengths you need. Listen, the experiences that you've had are the experiences that you need. God wants you to know that the oil only flows when it's poured. We get stuck in this pattern asking God for more, more, more. I need more, God. And I think God's response to us is, Troy, if you would just pour, 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 then you'll find that it's out of the flow. Out of the flow comes the abundance of life. You can wish for it, your miracle. I'm gonna step on your toes right now. You can even pray for your miracle. You can cry for your miracle. But until you pour, it's going to stay contained in one small, itty-bitty little jar. It can't be taken from you, but it ain't enough. I'm not telling you that that's enough to sustain you, because it's not. But that's enough to pour. And if you pour that, it'll multiply. That's why, that's why I could have had, I'm just, I could have chosen a different path in my life. We could have had more money. We could have had more stuff. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But when you follow your call, the gifts, call of God are irrevocable. When you follow through with that, it's not about more. It's about poor. And my God, I am a testimony to this, will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's the God that we serve. And I'm not, do I look like I'm suffering, right? Amen. Some of you laughed a little too hard at that. <laughs> because the more you pour, the more it's, it's going to flow. Some of you got your heart broken. And then, you, then you're, you're, you know, the relationship didn't work out. And you got your heart broken. So you, you stop pouring. Some of you, you used to encourage people. And then somewhere along the line... You got discouraged yourself. And because of that, you stopped encouraging people. And God has told me to tell you this morning to start pouring again. To start pouring again. Start pouring again. Remember, the object of the one that you're pouring into isn't that person. You're pouring it into them, but you're pouring it for God. Start pouring again your miracle is coming because the more you pour the more there's going to be a flow and when you stop having a vessel to fill the oil is going to stop flowing we tend to think i'll pour more when i get more <laughs> isn't that like logical when i get more i'll have more to pour more don't that make sense troy makes total sense to me but it doesn't work in god's economy it doesn't work with god and god's order is it becomes more as you pour. Wow, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to because we think in the natural and God is in the supernatural. It becomes more when it's poured out. Isn't it just like God to command us to pour something out that we don't feel like we have enough of? The Bible says in Luke chapter six, verse number 38, given it will be given to you. I go to the grocery store now. I don't... 
like paying for grocery bags at all. So I asked them to fit. My wife has bought me these wonderful little grocery bags I keep in my truck, but every time I go in the grocery store, I forget to take them in. Like there's recycle, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so I'm that guy. I'm like, is it really worth the few the steps? Now I'm not wearing my Fitbit. It is not worth because I'm not going to get credit for nothing today. So I'm going to just buy a bag here. And so uh, pay 10 cents, which is ridiculous. My friends in other states make fun of us, right? Because we have to use paper straws and paper plastic bags. It's ridiculous. But anyway, I, I, I asked, and, and the, the nine-year-old grocery guy that's clerking it, um, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, you know, it just it seems like they're young, getting younger and younger all the time um, because I'm getting older and older all the time. I, I asked, he like, puts like one, two liter in a bag. Whoa, whoa, son. Um, um, I got four two liters and I'm not paying for four bags. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I don't really say this, but this is going, maybe I do. I don't know. Put them all in one bag. Put them all in one bag. They'll all fit. They'll just squeeze that little sucker in there, right? Uh, no, I'm not going to carry with one hand. I'll be two-handing the sucker because I can't get the things to collapse together. But I'm going to put them in one bag because I'm only going to spend 10 cents on this. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It kind of reminds me about what the Bible says here. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, uh, not one two-liter, uh, not two two-liters, uh, not three two-liters, but they'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's what the blessing is going to be. Uh, it'll be poured into your lap for with the measure you use... It will be measured unto you. I'm telling you, this stuff works. I tried feeling sorry for myself when I'm discouraged. I've tried it. I've also tried encouraging somebody else when I feel discouraged. Let me tell you, the first one, when, I'm, when I feel sorry for myself, when I'm discouraged, um, it just sends me down this spiral to bitterness. But the second one, when you're discouraged and you take the energy to encourage someone, many of you know that in this room, what happens is you don't feel like you have it to give, but you give it anyway. And what you really want is you really wanted somebody to encourage you, but you gave it anyway. And it caused you in the process of encouraging them to start to feel encouraged. Bitterness will keep you from pouring what you have while you wait for what you want. And that is so good, that's worth repeating, right? Even though you can read it on the screen, we're gonna say it again. Bitterness will keep you from pouring what you have while you wait for what you want. The devil can trick you into thinking nobody appreciates you, so what do you do? You stop appreciating other people. And then when you stop appreciating other people, then nobody appreciates you. And then you continue to stop appreciating other people. And do you see the self-fulfilling prophecy that the enemy put you on because he was able to get your attention long enough to convince you of the lie that nobody appreciates you? That's exactly what happens here. How do you break the cycle? By pouring. By pouring. Remember, you might be pouring into people, but you're still pouring for the Lord. You know, what enabled this woman? I'm fixing to be done here. What enabled this woman to pour? What caused this woman to muster up the faith to pour? Remember she was triggered just a few seconds ago? What caused her, come on, stay with me, what caused her to have the faith to pour? And I think it's found in verse number five. It says, she left him. And afterwards, shut the door. Let's stop there. I don't think that she would have poured if she didn't shut the door. By the way, what she did do is she poured in private. She didn't pour in public. And when she shut the door, I think that is, that is an absolute word of God for somebody in here today, if not all of us. The way that you're going to have the faith is you need to shut the door and keep pouring. Shut the door and keep pouring. 
What is the door? Some of y'all, it is shut your mouth and keep pouring. Because the words you're saying are not words that are edifying. The words you're saying are not words that are building up. The words you're saying are words of gossip. They're words of slander. They're words of judgment. And God is saying, shut the door and just pour. Maybe the door you need to close is your, are your ears and you're listening to the voice of the enemy that says, you'll never add up, you'll never be that, you won't fulfill your call, you do not have joy. You need to shut that door and keep on pouring. Some of you, it may, maybe it's your, your eyes and you're looking at things, you're watching people and you're jealous or you're envious and you're like, if I only had what they had, you need to shut that door and just keep on pouring. Maybe it's lust in your heart, shut the door and keep on pouring. Let me just be raw for a second. We started this church nearly eight years ago, and Easter to be eight years. And I remember many years ago, I was in a season of, of real discouragement, way back toward the beginning. Uh, questioning, I just, I think some of it, without excusing it, I think some of it was very human, uh, but it was, it was not faith. I was really discouraged. So I went and talked to a friend who doesn't live here. I went and talked to a friend, and I told him my discouragement. I told him how upset I was and how I had felt like um, in the moment, I had felt like, let me just be real with you, I had felt like, here's, here's, I'm not the pastor that New Life Church needs. And this guy listened to me and he helped me, but he said these words that I'll never forget. He said, um, you're the one they've got. I really want you to lean into this for yourself. You're the one God has chosen. God didn't choose anybody else to be the mother of those kids. God didn't choose anybody else to be the grandfather to those kids. God didn't choose anybody else to be in the job that you're in. God didn't choose anybody else to have the influence you have. God didn't choose anybody else to live in the home that you live in. God didn't choose anybody else to send you to the school that you're going to. God didn't choose anybody else to give you the opportunities that you've got. God chose you and there's nothing you perceive that you lack that God hasn't already prepared you for you're the one they've got I love that uh, you're his chosen vessel you're the one that God chose and you're like I, I might be a, a vessel and maybe I've been chosen but my pot is cracked I've got chips and imperfections I feel like I'm leaking. I, I, I'm, I'm a cracked, what's what we say around here, right? We're just a bunch of cracked pots is what we are, right? All of us are. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're preaching. It doesn't matter who you are. You're a cracked pot is what you are. And here's what I know about being a chosen vessel of God. God intentionally chooses cracked pots. God intentionally chooses imperfect, imperfect vessels. Um, he chooses a vessel with cracks and he does that to ensure that the, the praise, the honor, and the glory will not go to the vessel <laughs> because the vessel doesn't deserve any glory. The vessel doesn't deserve any honor. It's not about the vessel. It's about the value of the oil that's in the vessel. Can someone say amen? Yes. It's what God put inside of you. And when you pour out what God put inside of you, what you're doing is you are giving God all the glory, all the honor, and all the credit that he is do. So maybe the wood of your spirit today is just saturated. It's wet. Maybe that's how you feel. There is no way that uh, uh, this wood is going to take a spark. 
It doesn't matter how powerful the Holy Spirit is. I am just too saturated. I am just, I am just too drained. Oh, hogwash. Maybe you're like, I just don't hardly got any oil. Everybody else got oil. I don't got no oil. If I had just even a little bit more oil, I don't have enough oil to make a freaking cake right now. I got nothing. Then God is saying, mm, pour it out. He's saying, listen, maybe you got wet wood. Maybe you got a little oil, but get ready because if you've got those or both of those or either of those, then you're a candidate for a miracle. And God will receive all the glory and all the credit. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that it is miracle time. Thank you, God. You see, you don't just want to do something and not involve us. You also don't want us to do something that we would receive any credit. So it's a both and. It's a, it's a collaboration. Uh, you, you sometimes say, you want the walls to come down? March around them one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Then I want you to look at the walls, shout, blow the trumpets, and they're going to come down. And it seems ridiculous, but you want us to pour it out. Sometimes uh, we're standing before, we got the enemy behind us, we got nowhere to go, and there's a red sea in front of us. And you said, you, you know, you could just do it on your own, but instead you're saying, listen, why don't you stretch your hand out, stretch your rod out right over that sea and watch it part. Let me partner with you, God says, if you will pour out the oil out of obedience in your heart. Uh, you want me to build a what? I want me to build a boat? What, why would I build a big old boat? Build a big old boat because water's gonna fall from the sky. It ain't never rained before. I don't even know what rain is. I looked it up on Wikipedia and it's not even there yet. And you know what God says? Listen, it's gonna rain. It's gonna rain so much that every drop of land, every bit of land is gonna be saturated and covered by the water and you're not gonna be able to stand. Nobody's gonna survive. I build a boat. You know what? I'll pour it out. I'll pour it out. Whatever you say, God, I will trust you. And so here today, you're the one they've got. God is saying where you're at, pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out. How many of you would today, with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, just, just say, God, I'm ready to pour it out. God, I'm ready to pour it out. I'm ready to empty me. You must increase and I must decrease. More of you and less of me. God, I ask for a miracle. And I know you want me to participate in this miracle. So instead of, of screaming out more, Today, God, I will respond to your declaration that I should pour. And so I'll pour out my joy. I'll pour it out, God. I will pour out my gifts and my talents. I'll pour out my resources. I'll pour out my, my words, God. I'll pour it out for you. I'll pour out my actions and my love. I'll pour it out for you. That's the declaration of our heart, God. Hear us, transform us, change us, renew us and revive us, we pray, in the awesome, anointed, powerful name of Jesus Christ. If you agree, say amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap today? Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. That's right. Yes, Lord. Man, he's good. He is good, and he's greatly to be praised. I am so proud of you, New Life Church. You see, there's so much going on Christmas time. Stay connected. Stay connected. You don't have to be at everything, but stay connected. If you haven't been baptized in water, get signed up. I want to know who wants to be baptized at Christmas time this year. And you're like, I was baptized when I was an infant. I want you to be baptized when you choose, not when your mama chose, not when your daddy chose. You choose to be baptized in water. Then write it down. Follow the Lord. We'll contact you. We'll explain it to you. And we'll make sure you're ready for it. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. 
May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you. New Life Church, have a great Sunday. Amen.